In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, this is part two of our interview with David Richardson and his method of sharing your faith with others based on these three assumption types. Today we're going to get our boots on the ground and learn how to effectively identify the lies and share the truth of Jesus in a non-threatening and effective way with those who do not know him. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena Podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your guide and host of today's number one podcast for Christian men, guiding you to your best version in the stress bubble of life and beyond. Hey guys, we're going to jump right into the show today with David Richardson, but make sure that you stay tuned to the end of the show for our man law. So guys, again, today's guest is Dave Richardson. He's been married to his beautiful wife of Pamela for 36 years. They live in Atlanta, Georgia. Dave's a president of the Assumptions Institute, and he served for years on the Campus Crusade for Christ staff, mostly devoted with to working with college professors. So but he's in the eye of the storm. Dave is a highly sought after intellectual strategist just using the power of assumptions to help educators, students, and parents develop real-world discernment without being argumentative. He's also the author of the groundbreaking book, Transparent, How to See Through the Powerful Assumptions That Control You, which is part two of our show today. Hey, Dave, it's great to have you back on the show again for round two. So uh, I'm excited about this, and I really thought it would be wise to separate this podcast into two episodes because I have more questions than you could answer in an hour. And so uh, I'm excited because for me personally, I love to find ways to share Christ in a non-threatening yet effective way. It's easy to recognize as a guy who's been serving the Lord for over three and a half decades to recognize the lies that people believe, but then to share that share the truth and love to these people. A lot of them today are uh, uh, bitter, are angry, are resentful towards Christians and towards the church. And so I'm really excited about having you on today. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate the opportunity. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it it is. I I love having you on because you talk. You're easy. You get going, and I'm like, I don't have to ask any questions. So this is great. (laughs) But I do have questions. Here's the first one. Can you go through again? If guys missed the show last week, can you review our last discussion? In other means, in other words, let's start with this. When you talk about assumptions, what do you mean by an assumption? Okay. Well, when I'm talking about assumptions, I'm talking about what a person uh, has as their core understanding of the nature of everything. Yeah. So I'm not just talking about, oh, I just assume this person knows things or, or you know, the way that we typically use the word. What I'm talking about when I refer to assumptions, I'm talking about the autopilot in your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this is something that uh, is seldom examined and most people are not even aware of. Uh, the reason that we uh, that I use the analogy of an autopilot is if you think about what an autopilot does, it uh, helps to keep an airplane or a boat uh-huh. uh, on heading, on speed, uh, without uh, the captain having to constantly keep their hands on the, on the controls so that they can do higher executive functions where they can talk about 
the the flight plan where they could talk to the crew, the control tower, go get a cup of coffee, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but they're not constantly keeping the plane straight, level, uh, and on course. Uh, and our brains have an autopilot that uh, has to do with the nature of everything. Uh, when you are trying to figure something out, you say, is that true? Well, how do I know it's true? Mm -hmm. uh, most people have no clue what that means. Uh, when I say something is true, it's because it matches something real. That's why we're talking about assumptions in relationship to reality, because yes. uh, unless you're God, you're not all knowing. <laughs> there's Correct. things you know, and there's things you don't. And when you reach the edge, the limit of what you know and what you don't know, to try and understand and explain the big picture of the world that we live in, we assume something about reality that we don't know. Yes. Because if we knew it, we wouldn't have to assume it. But uh, we do, okay. because we're limited. And that thing that we assume is what the nature of everything is. Uh, is it all just physical? Is it all just non-physical? Or uh, are both of those things actually real, but they're created things, and then there's a creator who's distinctly different from that created realm. These are three different ways that every person that you meet tends to assume about uh, the entire world. Mm -hmm. So uh, this core assumption is the thing that you don't question, because if you question it, it blows everything up. You can't make sense of anything. It gives your brain the blue screen of death. <laughs> oh, yeah, boom, for sure. Flatline. <laughs> uh, uh, and in fact, when you get into conversations with people and you start getting close to that core assumption, what happens to them? They start getting really uh, defensive. Yes. They start getting emotional uh, it, it, when it seems like that is a really logical, plausible, uh, it seems common sense, yet they react and they don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. It's because you're getting close to their core assumption about how things are. How it just is, uh, is uh, often how it, uh, we tend to express a core assumption. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when you say, well, uh, why is that? Well, it's because of this. Well, then why is that? Well, it's because of that. Well, then why is that? Well, you can only go backwards four, five, six, seven questions mm -hmm. before you reach the wall. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. all get mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. We all do it. We, we oftentimes don't do it deliberately, but we are there. And when we reach the wall, we say, I don't know. It just is. And whatever that just is, is, is the thing that is self-existent all on its own. We don't know how. We don't know why. It just is. Yes. And we don't question it. And it's the thing we don't question. We can't prove it. When people say, well, prove that God exists. You can't prove that God exists any more than the person can prove that he doesn't exist. Yes. Uh, uh, it, it, it goes both ways. It's, it's not a provable thing. Uh, you have some good reasons and some good evidence, yes. but mm -hmm. a proof, when you get to the level of a core assumption, there is no proof. So you don't question it. It's not provable. And it's the thing that you accept to be real and therefore true on faith. You don't know it. You trust it. That's why it's a person's basic faith commitment. Yes. The interesting thing is when you understand that nature of assumptions and that we all make them, you can't avoid it because you're not all-knowing. Uh, that even atheists are people of faith. So when we as Christians describe ourselves as people of faith, well, that's actually a misnomer. That's not true. As if there are people not of faith. That's oh, not true. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's a person of faith. They just start with a different core assumption about the nature of things. So uh, uh, the, that uh, that's why I focus on assumptions. Now, when I talk about what's true, how do you know something is true? Well, true things match real things. Yes. You know, and so what I mean by that is, uh, like, for instance, uh, uh, if I were to look at the shirt that you're wearing and I say, isn't that a beautiful orange shirt that, uh, that Jim's got on today? And you, you look at it, what? No, that's an olive shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's because what I said about the actual real shirt that you're wearing didn't match. Correct. So what I said about your shirt is false. That's how our brains tend to work. So when we say something is True, true is just a measurement of correspondence or matching to something that's really real. And if you can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not, you can never tell the difference between what's true and what's not. Now, the, that's where the, our, our culture is right now. It's a crisis of truth. People don't even know what true is. They just think, oh, I just decide what it is. Yeah. And, and, and that's not true at all. So <clears throat> when you're looking at these three types, these assumption types, 
there are eight fundamental questions that actually reveal the hidden assumptions, right? And you've, yes. in our dialogue just now, you've listed, I heard you list at least three of them, but can you go through the eight so that, so that, the, so that we can have that as a review? Sure. Well, there's three core assumptions about the nature of everything, the, the thing that just is. No questions, no proof, no, uh, uh, it, it, it just is. Uh, and that uh, uh, core assumption expresses itself in three different ways. Either everything that there is, everything that's really real is physical. It's matter and energy. There's no minds, there's no spirits, uh, nothing non-physical. Uh, those That's a particular way of assuming about reality. They don't know it, they assume it. And uh, because that's, the limit of uh, of being a, a human being. So the uh, eventually first... to to prove it, you can't prove that the universe is only physical. Yes. So the first the first question is what's really real. Yes. Uh, okay. That's uh, the uh, what's really real expresses what the core assumption is. Uh -huh. And it's either physical only, or everything is something that is non physical, either something spiritual or mental. Everything boils down to. Uh, a spiritual power or force that drives the universe yeah. or uh, a mental ideal of how things could be that's pictured in our mind. That's how progressives uh, tend to think about the world is uh, this humanist ideal yes. that we can become. We're not there yet, but we can become better. And as we continue that process of becoming better, eventually we can become perfect, this ideal that we have in our minds. So all of reality ultimately comes down to a spiritual or mental ideal. Yes, uh, that that's a that's a non-physical thing, uh, or there's not just physical or non-physical things. They're both real, but those physical and non-physical things were created. So there's a created reality, and then there is God, mm -hmm. who's distinctly different. God is not the universe. The universe is not God. There's two realities that exist in relationship with each other. That's the very first thing the Bible talks about in Genesis one one. Yes. In the beginning. God created. There's yep. two realities. Uh, so those core assumptions answer the question, what is really real? But nobody ever thinks about that question. So how do I get at how people are answering that question? That's what the other questions are all about, the other seven. Yeah. Uh, the, if, if that's what's there, then where did it all come from? That's the, the first question that you would ask. If that's what's here, where did it come from? Yep. Number two and, is where did everything come from? Yes. Yes. So, the, and people based off of how they assume about the world will answer that question in three very different ways. Well, if it's just physical only stuff, where did it come from? Well, it's just the laws of physics. It's uh, natural laws yeah. uh, that, that created everything, uh, that made everything. Uh, if it's just non-physical things, mental or spiritual things, well, then somehow or another, uh, uh, there's really no physical world here to create. It's really uh, uh, an expression of a spiritual ideal. Everything's really spiritual until you realize that and understand that. You'll never uh, be able to uh, uh, achieve uh, spiritual perfection. Yeah. Or uh, it's a sociopolitical ideal. Uh, that's the, the, the true nature of everything. And it's that ideal that makes stuff uh, as we try to conform to it. Or there's a creator who made everything. And we answer the question in three very different ways depending on what the core assumption is. The next question, where does it all come from? The next one is, how does it all work? Yeah, Everything's in motion, it's not sitting still, what makes it go? Well, from a type one perspective, that's physical only, uh, it's the laws of physics that make it, it's the laws of physics that run it, that's all there is. Uh, the other is it's uh, there's an evolutionary process of uh, becoming perfect either spiritually or socially, uh, politically. Uh, that's what makes everything go is this evolutionary process of, uh, mm -hmm. of uh, reaching perfection, reaching nirvana, reaching utopia, yeah. whatever it happens to be. <laughs> or uh, there's uh, the universe runs with natural laws that are expressions of God's unchanging character. So who God is doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And that's why the universe runs in a repeatable, predictable uh, way that we yeah. can test and, uh, and do science with. Uh, is because of God's unchanging character. Every pioneer of science uh, 400 years ago thought that way. That's why science became what it is, is because of that way of thinking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so depending on your core assumption, you answer that third question, how does everything work, in three fundamentally different ways. Physical evolution, social or uh, or spiritual evolution, or no evolution, God creates. Yes. So that's that's uh, your that's your third question. The fourth yep. one is, where is everything going? Explain that one. 
Well, where everything's going, if it came from somewhere, well, then maybe it's going somewhere because it's in motion. It's going somewhere. Yeah. It came from somewhere. Maybe it's going somewhere. Well, how uh, you assume your core assumption will determine the answer to that question. If it's just physical only stuff, then uh, laws of physics made it. Laws of physics run it. Where's it going? Well, eventually it's just going to a, towards annihilation and death. Everything mm -hmm. will end. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, once my life is done, it's done. And eventually, you know, billions of years down the road, uh, all the usable heat in the inner, uh, in the universe will be used up. Uh, we it'll reach maximum entropy, uh, basically called heat death, yeah. and everything stops. Big crunch. It's all done. It's heading towards annihilation and death because that's all there is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the, with the other, uh, it, we've we've reached spiritual perfection or we've reached social perfection. Uh, that's where everything's going. Uh, every, everybody and everything's conformed to that spiritual or sociopolitical ideal, or everything is heading towards life in a new creation with or without God. It depends on how you choose in this life, whether yeah. your next life will be with God or, or without God. But the important thing is there is another life. Yes. Uh, and those are three fundamentally different answers to the question, depending on how you assume about reality. Then uh, the next question is, what is a human being? So, Because a human being is a part of Absolutely. Uh, the larger big picture. So before we can answer other questions about humans and uh, what humans do and the problems they face and all that, we assume an answer to the question, what a human being is in the first place. Well, if it's physical only stuff, a human being is nothing more than a highly evolved animal because the thing that runs the universe is physical evolution. Absolutely. So what is a human? A highly evolved animal, just like every other animal and nothing more, nothing special about a human. It's uh, that uh, there's no value, worth, and dignity inherent in a human being simply because they're humans. They're just another animal yep. that's highly evolved. Uh, for a, 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 the next person, the type two person, a human being is uh, is an expression of that spiritual ideal or that sociopolitical, that humanist ideal that is yet to be achieved, but can be achieved. And so uh, while we're flawed and, uh, uh, and there's faults in us, we are able to fix them. We're repairing the world sometimes is the way you know, that you it's You know expressed. what's scary to me, Dave? <laughs> David, what's scary to me as a type of a, as a, what's scary about a type two assumptive type that person this utopic this uh conformative mentality this yes. evolving evolving that scares me because that puts less and less freedom on uh, on the human to choose yes and it's more and more about conforming to a ideal or a socioeconomic uh, uh concept or a political ideal it's very very scary to me very and yes. that we see that a lot right now Yes. Going on. That's very, well, that, very scary. That, that is that is a crucial dynamic to idealistic thinking, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because if ideals are real and they're achievable, then they have to be achieved. I mean, if you can achieve them, you got to go do it. Yeah, let's go for but, it. Uh, but uh, but to achieve that ideal requires 100 percent participation. There can be no outliers because that person who won't go along is holding up everybody else. Yeah, and we're uh, seeing that more and more in our culture, and I think we're going to get to a point in America where we're going to see Christians physically persecuted, put in jail, fined. I mean, we're going to see, we might see martyrdom before the end of our era here in America. We see it all over possible. the place in China and these other countries. Yes. But the, these Marxist, socialist, communist concepts lead people not to a utopic freedom, but to a satanic bondage. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, yeah, because uh, even though they some of some of them seem different, uh, whether uh, uh, it's an Islamic caliphate or whether it's uh, uh, the Communist Party or whether it's fascism, uh, you know, like Nazi Germany, and yeah. there's uh, you know plenty of that going on in other parts of the world today. All of those are different forms of idealism. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the uh, one's a spiritual idealist, and the other are socio political. Uh, but you know, if you look at history. The ideal was expressed by Adolf Hitler as ein Volk, ein Reich, ein Führer. One, peop uh, one people, the ideal people, the Aryan race living in the ideal country led by the ideal leader. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. That, that was the dogma. That was the mantra. In the Soviet Union, and I visited the Soviet Union twice when I was a young man. 
Uh, I actually spent a whole summer there in 1983, and I saw how Whoa. the workers' paradise really worked out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there, it, the pursuit was the new Soviet man, the ideal worker living in the workers' paradise. The, everything about the government was focused on creating or recreating this ideal human that they called the new Soviet man. So every uh, idealistic regime will have that uh, perfect person in mind, and they're trying to create an entire society filled with them. So conformity is is absolutely crucial. And you know what's really interesting to me is Romans twelve two yeah. tells us, yeah, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah, because uh, uh, those two Greek words, do not be conformed, but be transformed, are imperatives, they're commands. There's not, it's not optional yeah. for us as believers. But the interesting thing about those is most English translations don't uh, translate the sense of them very well. Yes. Uh, because in English, we understand commands as active. You go do this. Yeah. But in fact, these are some, uh, some rare things that you see in the New Testament called passive imperatives. What that means is uh, the, the real sense in the Greek of the verb is don't let the world conform you because that's what it does. If you don't make a choice and choose otherwise, that is your default position. You are conformed because that's what the world does all day, every day is conform you. Stop uh, allow and don't allow it to do that. Stop letting it conform you, but allow God to transform you. Uh, the, the transformation is something that we cannot do ourselves either. And so many times we think, well, I got to do my Bible study. I got to do uh, my uh, my prayer time and I got to do my service and other things like that. And I'll be transformed because of my activity. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what the scripture does not say. Yeah. What it does say is give up. Let God transform you. You have to allow him to do it. So don't allow the, the world to conform you, which is what it does, because it's full of idealists mm -hmm. trying mm -hmm. to shape mold and perfect humans, which can't be done. But they think they can because they think ideals are real. But allow God to transform you, and I think that's a uh, that's a powerful verse when you understand oh, yeah. uh, what uh, what the Greek is really saying there. Yeah, I I I think a, a born again, spirit filled Christian will one always be in the minority. There will never be a majority of Christians in this world as much no. as we want to pine the sky this thing, and they will always be fighting against culture. And, and yep. that's just, and, and you know what, we'll always be surrounded. And honestly, that, that invigorates me. But if yeah. we think that we're going to be in this culture where everybody's like us, man, we got another thing coming because that is not Christianity. Jesus no. said the gate is narrow, narrow gate. And so yep. uh, I'm a big fan of swimming against the current, swimming up sure. river. So, so number six, uh, the another six question is where does knowledge begin? Yeah. Where do we, uh, how, how do we acquire knowledge? Uh, you know, if uh, if I'm a type one person, it's just physical only stuff. Well, how do I get knowledge? Well, it's from uh, sensory stimuli. You know, I've got my five senses and yeah. my rational processes in my brain. So my senses detect something. It creates a biochemical reaction in my brain that generates a thought. You know, the interesting thing about that is, did you have any control over that? <laughs> Can you control the chem biochemical reactions in your brain? Uh -uh. I can't. I'm going to call. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I just made a synapse fire. <laughs> I just made a synapse fire. Oh, there it goes yeah. again. <laughs> Sorry. So if you have no control over the biochemistry in your brain, it's yeah, just, exactly. yeah, and your senses can't refuse to detect things. Yeah. So your senses detect something, creates a biochemical reaction that produces a thought. How are they even your thoughts? That's completely irrational. Agre but agree. if it's physical only stuff, that's the only way you can explain it. It disconnects from reality. And when you see that disconnect from reality, which uh, type one and type two repeatedly do, when you see the disconnect, that's a clear indicator of a false assumption. Well, and it's really interesting. These type one assumers, uh, which is a lot of our, I mean, I don't know, I'd say a lot of, well, I'd say educators are falling to one and two, but this this type one assumer that everything natural is real, man, you take that takes more faith to believe that to be to be than being a Christian. Yeah. The interesting <laughs> thing is they are exercising faith. To oh, absolutely. That. You have to. You have to. You don't to. know that the world's that way. You assume it's that way. The only way you can actually eliminate the possibility that it's just a physical only universe is if you have access to all places, all times to be able to 
verify there is nothing non-physical beyond the scope of my knowledge. So mm -hmm. the only way you could eliminate that possibility is if you're all-knowing and you have access to all places at all times, which you don't. You'd yeah. be God if you were. There's only <laughs> one who. There's only one who's omnipresent. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So isn't it possible that something non-physical, something spiritual, something mental exists beyond yeah. what you know? Well, the only way to eliminate that is if you have access to all places at all times and you don't, you're limited. Yeah. So yep. you don't know that's how the universe is. You assume that's how the universe is. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, the physical only guy says it's just biochemical reactions in my brain that produces thoughts. That's how I get knowledge. Well, that that completely disconnects from reality. The other one is uh, I get it from my own mind. But the problem with that, of course, is. I thought you didn't know something. So if the source to get the knowledge is yourself, but you yourself already lack it, how do you get it from yourself when you don't have it? Yeah, yeah. It's a, <laughs> it makes no yeah, sense. No, nothing. There's no, yeah, it's not logical at all. So, <laughs> And you hear people say all the time, well, trust your heart, trust your feelings, look inside, uh, and your heart will tell you. But your heart is deceitfully wicked, according to the scripture, and deceitful above all else. Is that really the thing we should trust? Mm-hmm. Uh, either that's true or the other's true, but they can't both be true. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, Or, or we get knowledge from God. Uh, God uh, knows everything about everything, literally knows everything about everything. Not just spiritual stuff, but he knows everything about business. He knows everything about chemistry. He knows everything about economics. He knows everything about medicine uh, because he made everything, so he knows everything. So he has all the content of knowledge and the way that we get it from him, sure, we get it uh, from our spiritual communion with him, but he gave us our spiritual nature because he designed and built us in the first place, but also more conventionally from our five senses and our rational process in our brain. Those are also gifts of God because mm -hmm. did you go down to the brain store and buy one? <laughs> did, yeah. did you go down to the eye store and get a pair? You didn't acquire those things yourself. Where did you get them? They were given to you by God. So the content of knowledge comes from God, mm -hmm. and the means by which we uh, acquire it come from God also. That makes far more sense than the other two answers. Agreed. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, uh, that's uh, question six. The next one is question seven. We live with this question all day, every day. Yep. What um, is good? What is good? What is good? Uh, I'm not, and I'm not asking a person, what is your ethical theory? Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, all I'm simply asking is, what do you mean when you use that word? When you say, that's good, that's not. What do you mean by that? Uh, is good just whatever you decide it is? Because that's what a type one assumer would do. There's nobody else to do the deciding. There's no God. Yeah. So who decides what good is? Well, then I do. Yeah. So there's billions of little standards running around, or it's the group that agrees with me. My, my truth. We decide. My truth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, that means that it's good for this group or this person, but not necessarily good for this other group or this other person. Uh, the, uh, it's just what we what we like, what we uh, what I agree with other people about. So that's what's good. So really, in in reality, there is nothing that's universally good for anybody. It's just what we like and what we don't like. Mm -hmm. The second way is good is whatever will make the world better, better. or make me better. Mm -hmm. So in other words, whatever achieves the ideal, that's good because. The ultimate goal, the ultimate good is achieving the ideal. So whatever will get us there is also good. So that could mean I could lie today if it'll help me get closer to the ideal, or I could tell the truth. Uh, it doesn't really matter whether you tell the truth or whether you lie if it gets you closer to the ideal. Uh, so it's a more utilitarian approach that's focused on achieving the ideal. Uh, I can condemn a sex offender as evil, if it will get us closer to the ideal, or I can support and defend a sex defender if it will get me closer to the ideal. And we see that all the time. You think it's that. more relativistic? <clears throat> that's a more relativistic viewpoint? Like, Yeah, well, well actually, both of them are relativistic. Yeah, but one, yeah, one is just, uh, uh, it, it, it's just uh, a sheer decision of the will. Uh, it's it uh, it's just strictly relativistic that way. It's not more to anything but yeah. my personal preferences or group preferences. The other is harnessed in service to a specific ideal, becoming spiritually perfect or socially perfect, humanly perfect. Uh, so the act in itself is not inherently good or bad uh -huh. if it gets us closer to the goal. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's why you see people uh, like Bill Clinton being defended and people like Jeffrey Epstein being condemned. Yeah, for sure. 
the, the act is the same. Uh, it just all depends on whether the person is helping us get d- closer to the goal. Yeah. Uh, wow. If I'm a journalist, I can uh, tell the story as it actually happened, or I can make up a story. It doesn't really matter as long as it helps us uh, uh, perfect society and and, uh, and get closer to that ideal. Well, if it means that I uh, steal elections and, and stuff ballot boxes, if it gets the right person elected, then that's noble and good. Well, that's the scary part is that we're seeing, uh, we've seen in the last 20 years, maybe even earlier, our our news, which when I was growing up was objective for the most part, has become yeah. subjective based on people's assumptive types, their assumption types. Yes. So, so this yeah, is good. In fact, it used to be that journalism was uh, reporting the uh, what happened for people who weren't there to see it themselves. Yes, correct. It was just simply stating the fact this objective. is what happened. So that uh, because the journalist witnessed it and uh, the reader did not or the viewer did not. That's not how journalism works at all today. No. If you were to talk to a journalism student, ask them, why do you want to get into journalism? They say, I want to be a journalist so I can change the world. Yeah. Well, that's why they're being discredited. Yeah. I mean, people just I mean, I don't even watch the news anymore. I don't because I don't know what the truth is. I just stick to the word and. Yeah, you know, so so let's let's jump into type. Or, the, or, the, well, uh, and then the type three answer, of course. Oh yeah, what is who about. God is? Yes. Now that's really a powerful thing when you think about it a little bit. Good is who God is. Jesus, when he was talking to the rich young ruler, and he said, "Good teacher, what must I do to be saved?" And Jesus answered him, "Why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God alone." Uh huh. I read it this morning. <laughs> and unless, of course, you want to call me God, which is the point of the conversation. Yes, it uh, is. But but even Jesus himself was not claiming goodness for himself. Correct. What he's saying is no human is good. What that means is no human is a source of good. Yes. Because when you think about it, when, when I talk about this particular issue, this particular question, what is good? The first thing I'll do is I'll refer to uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 14, when it talks about uh, the fourth day of creation, when God created the lights for the earth, uh, the great light for the day, the lesser light for the night, the sun and the moon. Yeah. When you think about the sun and the moon, one's a source of light, one's a reflector of light. The sun uh, emits light. The moon is a beat up pockmarked mess Yep. Uh, but it's a reflector of light, and that's what it's designed to do. In fact, it's not a very efficient or, or perfect reflector at all. If it was, we'd get no sleep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> because it'd be just as bright at night as it is uh, during the day. Uh, there'd be no difference between day and night. Uh, but the interesting thing is, if you go a little further down in Genesis chapter 1 to verse 26, oh, yeah, and we talk it. about the sixth day when God said, let us make man in our image, and in the image of God, he created them both male and female and all the details that go there. The interesting thing is, what's an image? An image yeah. is a reflection of something. We are designed to reflect God's character, who God is. We're designed to be uh, little mirrors reflecting him. The problem is, is that we're broken reflectors who are born turned away from him so that we're not very good at doing that. And even if we happen to reflect anything of God's character, it's not very efficient or, or not very well. Uh, and yet that's what we're designed to do is uh, if you uh, think about humans in relationship to God, are we the sun or the moon? God's the moon. sun, yeah. we're the moon. He's the source of the light, we're the reflector of the light. So if we take that analogy further, God is the one who's good, and God alone is good. Psalm one nineteen sixty eight says, the Lord is good and does good. So who he is and what he does is the literal description, definition, and uh, source of what goodness is, and he alone is good. Mm-hmm. No human is good. We're designed to reflect him, and when we do, we're doing good. We are. Uh, we say, well, I'm a good person. No, you're not, because goodness doesn't come from you. Uh, you're not a source of good. You're merely a reflector of good. He's the source of good, and we're designed to reflect him. And, uh, and when we don't reflect him, when we reflect something else, other than God and his character, that's evil. Mm -hmm. That's the knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve were first created, all they knew was God. So they knew good. They didn't know what evil is. God did because he knows his own character, and he also knows what isn't his character. Mm -hmm. But humans didn't because all they knew was God until they chose to rebel, until they chose to turn away from God and no longer reflect him but reflect themselves. Then they discovered what evil was. Which is our... Which is our eighth question. Yes. What is 
uh, humanity's basic problem. Yep. Well, that answer, uh, the answer to that question also comes from the core assumption. If it's just physical only stuff, then what's the problem with the world? Well, people that believe in spiritual stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you believe in gods. Oh, you yeah. believe in angels and demons. That's that's nuts. That's that's lunacy. That's mm -hmm. mental illness uh, from a type one perspective. Yeah. And that's the problem with the world is you got all these people that believe in religious things. That has to be uh, marginalized or eliminated so that we can get on with uh, the development of the human species. Yes. But that's the problem of the world is all these people pushing religion. Uh, and you, <laughs> yeah. you've, you've heard people say that. Well, that's why they say it is because that's not real. God's not real. Spiritual things are not real. And you believe that? Well, you're nuts. <laughs> literally. That's why they respond They literally that. say that. Yeah. Yes, they do. They, they think you're insane. Then the next one is, what's the problem with the world if things boil down to a spiritual or a social ideal? Well, the problem is you're ignorant of spiritual reality that, and, and, and the spiritual being that you can become if you disconnect from uh, the cares and concerns and desires of this world and focus on uh, becoming one with the divine, becoming spiritually perfect. In fact, you'd even lose yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and become of the great uh, 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 spiritual power that is the true nature of everything. It's that ignorance of the ideal yeah. that drives that. Or if you're a humanist, if you're a progressive, if you're uh, somebody who is thinking uh, uh, along the lines of a social or humanist ideal, then the problem with the world is people that are focused on physical stuff, wealth and power and other things that uh, is important. Uh, and so what we're see seeking there is equality. Uh, the problem with the world is then, therefore, inequality, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there's uh, 1% of people that have all the wealth and power, and there's 99% that don't. And uh, those 99% are striving for, they, uh, uh, want, uh, they want more, uh, and all these guys are hogging it all, but if they would just share it, uh, everybody would be fine, they, because if everybody's equal, then everybody will have the same stuff, so they won't be striving with each other, and then we'll have peace and harmony. Mm -hmm. The problem with that, of course, is it's not possible <laughs> because yeah. uh, to make sure that everybody is equal economically, you'd have to confiscate all the wealth and power from that 1%, figure out what the fair share is and make sure that everybody gets it. To do that, it requires managers. It requires people to supervise the process and make sure it happens. Well, all that does is it reshuffles the inequality. Instead of a private few having all the wealth and power, now there's a public few the ruling elite that have all the wealth and power, and they're the ones who distribute it. Yeah, you I've just, descri you just described like. intersectionality or critical justice, critical theory. Oh, yeah, I've described all those things. Yeah, that's what all that is. All those things so. are built around things that are not real. Yeah, Ideals exactly. are not real. They don't exist exactly. in reality. They only exist in your mind, but they cannot be realized. People cannot be perfected. Society cannot be perfected. Uh, uh, we cannot fix what's broken with us. Agreed. If we could, then... That would uh, then the gospel would be ridiculous. It'd be it'd be a sham. There'd be no point. Uh, in fact, when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was saying, "Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done." What he was saying is, he knew what was coming. He knew what was about to happen to him. the 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 pain, the torture, the death he was going to have to suffer for the sins of humanity, because that was the way to repair humans to fix us, to one day make us complete and whole and perfect. But he said, if there's another way, rather than having to go do this painful thing, this horrible thing, if there's another way, let's do that. Let yeah. this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. If there's another way, let's do that. But there was no other way. If there was, it would be pointless for Jesus to die on a cross. Why would he have to die on a cross if there was another way to get it done? Yeah. But there is no other way. And so the thing that's broken with us, we can't fix, only he can fix. And that's the, the type three answer. The problem with the world is that God is good, but we're not. Yep. <clears throat> and it's our collective doing of the bad. Some do it more than others, but we all do. And it's our collective doing of the bad that causes the brokenness, the pain, the suffering, the wars, uh, the strife, the envies, the lusts in this world. Uh, and there's nothing we can do to fix that. Yeah. So depending on how you assume is really real determines all those other things. And it's uh, it's remarkable uh, yeah. how most people don't understand or see how that works. Well, so 
<clears throat> so we've ha- been had you on last week, and now this week we've reviewed the three assumption types. We've went through the eight questions that each que- each type answers. So if I'm a dad driving to work right now who has children in my home, I'm sending them to uh, public school, I'm sending them to college, I'm sending them to work somewhere. You know, we're so we're teaching them to identify which of these three assumptions they're dealing with. Sure. Now what? What's the next step? Because I know that that your heart is not just that. Your heart is to take it all the way. How do we equip those we love to identify these three assumption types and then ultimately share Jesus in an effective way that would change the type ones and twos to type threes, i.e. receive Jesus? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing uh, is uh, uh, because the other two assumption types don't match reality. Yes. They will. Di- they will disconnect with reality. They won't work ultimately. And you know, you heard me express some of those disconnects as we Absolutely. were talking through the questions. When you reach that uh, disconnect, you say, "Well, that means this is based on a false assumption about what's really real, uh, about reality, the way things really are, not how you may hope it one day will be, but the way things are." Uh, it, it it disconnects. Well, then, what does connect? Well, if it isn't this one, it must be one of the other two. Yes. Because the core assumptions are mutually exclusive. When you start with one, it excludes the other two. Well, if you uh, if you started with a false one, it has to be one of the other two. There are no other choices. And so then you can examine the other one. Well, does this one work? No, that one doesn't work either. Well, then it must be the other one. Uh, uh, the one that regularly and repeatedly describes the actual world that we live in is the true assumption. Uh, now, when uh, we are trying to figure something out, we're not usually asking that core assumption question, what's really real. We're really dealing with uh, what's uh, what's a human being. We're dealing with uh, how do we answer a question? When you're seeking answers to a question that you are that you don't know the answer to, well, you're trying to acquire knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you doing that? <laughs> it's with one of those three ways. Or you're trying to make a, a good choice. Uh so you're answering the question, what is good? But you're doing it at the level of assumptions. You're not doing it consciously. So what the uh, what my uh, 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 critical assumptions test does is help us to surface that hidden assumption. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so when we're faced with making a choice uh, or we're talking with somebody else who is trying to make a choice, they're uh, assuming an answer to that question. So when you say that this is a good choice, what do you mean by a good choice? Uh, is good is just whatever you decide it is? Well, then that's not good. It it it's just whatever you like, or good is whatever is going to help us make the myself or the world better. Well, that's not really good either because that can change with the wind depending on the situation. Yeah, yeah. It's completely uh, utilitarian and situational. That doesn't mean that 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 specific act that you're about to do is inherently good or inherently evil. It's just useful for reaching the ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Or uh, this is something that's in alignment with God's character, and I probably should do that. And if I do something that's not in alignment with God's character and his design for myself and the world, well, bad things are going to happen if I do that. So that gives me solid ground uh, to operate from because it gives me uh, a clue into what they're assuming is really real. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, and the interesting thing is because there's three possible choices, that eliminates debates. You know, how many times you yeah. get into this, oh, this is true. No, that's true. No, this is true. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no. that method just doesn't work anymore. No, it doesn't work anymore. But what's interesting is because there are three possibilities in any given discussion, it's possible both of us could be wrong. Yeah, it could be option number three. It could be option number three. So both of us have to stand along inside each other. And look at that third one and decide whether that one's true or not first before we can get into, well, we've eliminated that one. So it has to be one of the other two. So which one is it? It's the one that matches the real world. That's the one that actually uh, is true. Uh, so uh, if we're dealing with a, uh, a moral question, uh, a choice, a decision that we got to make, we're, uh, we're tacitly assuming an answer to the question, what is good? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we're talking about what human beings are, there's that. If we're dealing with science, we're talking about questions two and three, where everything comes from and how everything works. Is it just physical only stuff uh, or is it not? Uh, If you're a type two assumer, 
the physical is not important at all. So why would you even study it? <laughs> you know, the, uh, that's why science never came from China or from India or from Mesoamerica, because they're focused on social and spiritual ideals, not focused on the physical world. That's not important to them. So, uh, okay, so your your heartbeat is to reach college professors. So yeah, let's say you're working with a college professor and they are a, a sociology professor, and they're really into CRT, intersectionality, this ideal, this utopic society, if we just pull from the rich, give the poor, redistribute wealth, goods, services based on race, based on sexual yeah. preference, based on all this stuff. So you're dealing with this guy, which is very, yeah. very common in our culture today. Yes, it is. You've identified him. This is a type two. Yeah. So, but you're going to, you know, your, your heart is to share Jesus with him. Yeah. How how, well, how how do you go about that? Well, uh, I'm looking for what their core assumption is. Right? Yes. Uh, and uh, so, you know, whatever the issue is that we're discussing, uh, uh, you know, what a human being is, you know, would, would be dealing with our identity, you know, whether it's a racial identity, sexual identity, yeah. you know, gender identity, you know, any of that kind of thing. We're, we're tacitly answering a question uh, five. Uh, issue uh -huh. or what or or what's a good choice what what, what should i what is a good thing we're uh in those particular issues we're dealing with question five and question seven uh and we find that they're answering in a type two way we know that that core assumption is based off of an ideal that isn't real so rather than debating gender Correct. rather than debating race with people i'm pointing out the obvious it's not real let me uh, let me give you an example related to gender. Uh, gender uh, is considered to be something fundamentally true about me as a human being. It's Correct. a it's a Correct. at the core of who I am is my gender. A type one well, would agree with that all the way, <laughs> right? A no, a type one should always say if that guy has has this kind of biological uh, anatomy equipment, that is a male. Yeah. Yeah. A type two, so, not so much. Yeah, exactly. Because what's going on here is this. Uh, if it's true that the type three description of reality is correct, then I am a physical and a non-physical creation correct. made to reflect who God is. So if gender is fundamental to who I am as a human, then it must be both in the physical and the non-physical aspects of who I am fundamentally. Correct. But when you look at humans Physically, uh, what do we see? We see that every cell of every organ in your body has a genetic code that is XX or XY on the 23rd chromosome. That is nothing you can change. Correct. It's hardwired. Uh, there are thousands of neurological and biochemical differences between males and females. If you were a dead body laying on a table and a neurosurgeon could not see the body, but all he could see was the top of the head and he opened up the skull, that neurology, uh, 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 that neurologist would be able to tell immediately that that is a male brain by the structure of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you know, when, uh, when a person is five years, uh, five months old in the womb, before they're even born, there's a biochemical wash that goes over a male brain that severs a bunch of the neurological connections between the hemispheres, so that it actually creates a male brain. So I, I'm Men tracking with you. I'm tracking with you here. My question is, how do I share Christ with that type two, right? Because because yeah, we, we so, know so what, what you're pointing, saying. What I'm pointing out is it's not real. Gender does not exist physically. It doesn't exist physically. It doesn't exist genetically. It doesn't exist uh, uh, biochemically. It doesn't exist morphologically in our shape. Where are the 68 different genders that people say there are? I don't know how many. The number keeps going uh, larger and larger. Where do those exist biologically? Yeah. Where do those exist physically? They don't. The only thing there is is XX and XY. That's reality. Correct. Where does I'm not saying gender doesn't exist. I'm saying where does it exist? Yeah. The only place it exists is here. Well, if the only place it exists is in your head, but I am fundamentally both physical and non-physical, then gender is not real. In fact, in reality, gender is a construct from linguistics. Uh, if you've studied a foreign language, uh, you see there is uh, masculine, feminine, and neuter nouns in a lot of languages. In English, we don't have that phenomenon. 
but you have to have you know agreement uh, between the genders of the nouns uh, in in uh, a variety of different languages. Well, there's a lot of people in the humanities that glommed onto that thing. They twisted it and turned it into a substitute for sex. In fact, uh, uh, a great example that I uh, that I uh, I love is from a, a movie called Stand and Deliver that was re- that was made in 1988, and you see. Uh, a camera shot of these students that are taking the AP calculus test and you're watching them fill out the form. Uh, And so it's frozen in time because this was from 1988. You see them checking. It doesn't say gender. It says sex, male or female. It doesn't say, what is your race? It says, what's your ethnicity? Those were not even cultural questions 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, They have been made up and they are mental and social constructs but they don't exist physically. Well, if they don't exist physically, that tells me one of two things. Either you think the physical isn't important or you've bought into a false assumption. <laughs> uh, uh, because uh, if gender doesn't exist physically, but it only exists in the mind, it cannot be fundamentally true about who I am mm-hmm. if I'm a physical and non-physical creation. So I just simply point out, how can gender be real? Uh, and 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 they'll have to explain to me how it's real. And as they begin to look at that, but you're a physical being, but it doesn't exist physically. So it can't be real. If it isn't real, why are you pushing it? And we're building social policy, public policy and law around something that isn't even real in the first place. Mm. But nobody wants to be the little kid in the emperor's new clothes and say the emperor's not wearing anything because what will happen to you if you do? Yeah. Nobody's wearing any clothes. So how do, how do, how do these professors respond when you confront that? Cause, cause that's a, that's an assumption. It's deep. It's on autopilot. Yes. That sounds like a massive hurdle that you have to overcome to get yeah. to the next step. It's uh, it's not real. Yeah. Uh, is is the thing that I'm pointing out because I understand what their core assumption is. But the interesting thing is, if you try to fix that issue right there, uh, it's probably not going to work. Yeah. Because where did their disconnect with reality come in in play? It happened Question further one. up the yeah. list. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it, because if you don't deal with where is everything going, how does everything work? Where did it all come from in the first place? If you don't deal with where humans came from in the first place, you're not going to be able to fix their understanding of what a human being is. Uh, And and so I have to move further up the chart and deal with the basics first. Uh, You know, it's interesting. I was talking with um, uh, uh, a Messianic Jewish rabbi at a a major Messianic congregation in, uh, uh, in Atlanta, and I was showing him the critical assumptions test, and I was asking him, how would your typical Jewish person that you minister to respond to this? How would they encounter it? I said, well, they'd start off as a type three. They would affirm, yeah, there's a creator and a creation. But then when, when they got to, uh, to, to question two, um, yeah, they would still affirm that. Yes, the God created. But with question three, they would say, well, as long as I don't hit somebody over the head with a tire iron, God doesn't really have anything to do with me, and I don't have anything to do with him. In other words, God's not actively involved in sustaining his creation. Yeah. He may have made it, but he but he now stands at a distance from it. Probably and so true. that's the, where they would jump into the middle column, and they would be an idealist all the way down until they got to question seven, what is good? And they would jump back to the type three column. Why would they do that? Well, it's because they have to affirm objective evil. There's no yeah. other way to affirm objective evil unless you are operating from type three assumptions because of the Holocaust. But as he was looking at it, he says, you know, they have no reason to do that. They're just doing it out of thin air. Mm-hmm. It's it's completely illogical for them to do it because uh, there's no basis for it. But he said, but the disconnect didn't happen at the Holocaust. The disconnect happened when they assumed that God isn't involved in the universe. Yeah. And so I have to go back there and fix that and get them to understand not only did God create, but he's involved. And once they can buy that, then I can go to the next question and then the next question and the next one. And by the time I get through uh, to the bottom of the chart and they agree with me that that's uh, that God is good. I am not. What's the solution? The gospel, because if you don't get them to that place first, the gospel makes no sense. 
because they think it's possible to fix people. Yeah, uh, because of uh, their idealistic assumptions. So we're really we're running up to the wall here on time. If, sure. So I'm I'm just going through this, going okay. I've got a nine year old daughter. I'm sending her to public school. Yeah. And I'm trying to equip her, or I'm sending a 13 year old boy to public school. I'm trying to equip him. He won't. He's not. He doesn't have the capacity to go through the eight questions. No, but he yet. does have the capacity to go through the three assumptions. Is that where yeah. we start as a parent? Hey, identify. We know the truth. We we believe in Jesus, which puts us in this category. And you you identify. I I wonder if just identifying the assumption type gives our children enough ammunition to say those aren't true types. Instead of sitting there blindly and taking it, like my son Colton, he. Uh, at his university he was at, they had a Zoom deal during COVID, and he had to put his pronoun uh, on the Zoom call, and he put yep. down a submachine gun. <laughs> and that was his yep. way of saying, I am nowhere near what you guys are, but yeah. I don't, I, I'm just going to do it in a funny way, but I'm not going to budge. Yeah. And I in think fact, that, what he's declaring is it's not real. Yeah, exactly. So what, what, what's the point? He's actually declaring it's not real. Yeah, exactly. And people are laughing about it who vehemently would disagree with his faith. But that yeah. seems like to me the best place for a parent to start. Yes. Or would but you that, suggest something but, different? But, yeah, something a little bit more, I would say. Not different. Okay, but more. okay. Uh, because where the disconnect starts with, uh, with Christian students, just like uh, the example that I gave uh, from the Messianic congregation, is at question three. God's not involved in sustaining the, uh, the universe. God's not involved in everyday life. You know, he's just kind of somebody uh, standing out uh, in the in the distance watching things go, but he's really not actively involved. That's where the disconnect with most students comes from. Well, he's just for your personal life. I've got something else for my personal life, and we're done with that Christian thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's what these assumptions do is allow me to find places to connect God to real-world things. Uh, so that we can live them out. And that strengthens our faith, and it helps us to then strengthen our, our kids' faith so that they don't become part of that 65% statistic where they walk away from the church within three to five years of high school graduation at over a million a year. I don't want my kids to be a statistic, and yeah. none of them are. Well, I think that's the key point, Is and, and you st stated this in the very early pages of the book, if we want to connect our children to a God who cares about what happens in their lives, then we need to be functioning that way and living that way. So our faith yes. needs to be more than a functional atheist or a type one type of person. Our faith yes. needs to be interactive, and we need to see our, our children and our spouses need to see Jesus interacting in our personal lives so that they can yeah. connect the dots. This is more than an ideology, uh, which is a type two type of thing. This is an yes. actual functioning... Uh, a functioning dynamic between a, a spiritual creator and physical being that he loves and he wants to interact with and interface with. Yes. In fact, you know, when people uh, ask me, prove that God exists, that's the wrong question. God exists at least as a construct of the mind. Mm -hmm. That's the wrong question. The question is, is God real? Yeah. And so as I connect God to real world stuff and live that out, I'm talking to God about not just my personal spiritual life. I'm talking to him about business. I'm talking to him about uh, uh, medicine. I'm talking to him about chemistry. I'm talking to him about transhumanism. I'm talking to him uh, about these because he knows about all those things. Do I believe that Jesus Christ is the smartest guy in the room every day? If he isn't, you're relying on somebody else yep. instead of him. Yep. And and so we have to live that out practically ourselves so that we can uh, do the same with our kids because they're watching. Uh, if they don't, if they look at me and they say, well, God doesn't really make any practical difference in dad's life, except he talks about these spiritual things uh, uh, and, and does this Bible study stuff. Well, that's nice. But what does it have to do with real life? Yeah. If we don't live that out, our kids see it. Well, and then they say, yeah. "Oh, God's not real." <laughs> well, and it comes <laughs> and if back God's down not to real, something. Why do I need him? It, it comes back to something I've been saying to men for years now. When a man gets it, everyone wins. So, before these assumptions, you got to start with you. Look in the mirror and say, "Am I living out a faith that's dynamic 
and my kids see the interaction with the spiritual God in my physical reality. So that's a yeah. great reminder, uh, Dave. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Again, give us another uh, opportunity to buy your resources. Where do we pick up your stuff? What's the best to sure. access? Sure. Well, my book, uh, my book, Transparent, you can go to thetransparentbook.com. That's thetransparentbook.com for all the details about uh, my book, Transparent. It's available in print, ebook, and audiobook, uh, as well as uh, links to be able to download the transparent app. There's a companion app that goes with the book that teaches you how to use this assum this assumption system, mm -hmm. teaches you how to use the critical assumptions test. There's also our website, assumptionsinstitute.org. That's assumptions, plural, assumptionsinstitute.org. And there's all the details about our ministry and our new resources, our learn to discern uh, courses that, uh, that we're making available so that people can learn how to use this skill, how to uh, use it in their real life, and how to pass it on to other people. Well, Dave, I sure appreciate our time together, man. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, go get those college professors, brother. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Jim. Have, Have a great day, you. man. <laughs> hey, I told you at the beginning of the show we'd end with a man law, so here it is. Man law number 16. This comes right out of my book, Man Laws, 100 Ways to Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By, which you can find free on our website. Man law 16 is never hug a man who is not related to you for more than three seconds, unless that man is grieving. The life rule here is show physical affection to your sons and your buddies. Guys, hey, make sure if you enjoy this podcast, say that you go and start following us on your podcast app. Hit that subscribe button. A lot of people just listen to the podcast and move on, but when you subscribe, you help us to move up in the rankings, which helps us to impact more lives for Jesus. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.